welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father, you are the creator and sustainer of all things. And yet you know us intimately and you've called us by name if we are your children. Lord, you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble as we've just read. And we praise you and we thank you for your loving kindness and your care towards us. Lord, we have been living in troubled times recently. Our meeting together has been sporadic um, because of this virus, and no doubt it's had a spiritual effect on our church. Um, there are those among us who are weary and tired, I'm sure, perhaps even spiritually lethargic. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us uh, for when we have been cold, and I pray that you'd strengthen us, Father, by your by your grace, um, by your spirit. I pray that you would increase in us a love for you and a love for the saints as we continue meeting together in person. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow and mature, um, even in difficult days, uh, not because of strength within us, but because of our Savior and our Sustainer. Lord, we are so thankful, and it's our great joy to worship you this morning. I pray that it would be for your glory and that we do it with the right motivation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Should 
everybody. Let's close our eyes and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be in your house this morning. Father, thank you that we can sing to your honor and sing to your glory. And thank you, Father, that you've touched our hearts and our minds and that you've drawn us to be here in your house this morning. And I pray that you will be with our pastor this morning as he brings your word and that you'll be with each and every one of us, that our hearts will be prepared for your word and that we will hear, that we will Take it in and that we will apply, Lord. Thank you, Father, for our church. And we thank you, as Josh spoke earlier, that we're back again and we can start to build on on the church and we can start to build on our spiritual lives again. And, and there have been times of, of cooling and we, we do certainly ask for your forgiveness for that, Lord. And we pray that you will take us forward and you'll take us forward as a church, as individuals, and that we will grow and that we will honor you in everything that we do. Father, we have a church that is full of people, and those people sometimes are struggling, Father, and I think of a lot of people, and, and Father, you know each and every one and each need, and I pray, Father, that you'll look after them and that, that you'll lay it on our hearts to remember each other and that we'll pray for each other when we're apart, Lord. And think of Yuri specifically, Lord. He seems to be taking strain more than, more than before, and and I ask, Father, that you'll be with him. You'll be with Christine. Parkinson's is so debilitating. And, Father, we pray that you'll just help them to always realize that you're with them. And no matter what is happening in their bodies, you, you've got that all under control. And nothing takes you with surprise, Lord. Father, we thank you for the evaluation with Irene. And we pray that that will move in the right direction, that healing will take place as you choose, Father. We think of... Kitty and Herman, and, and you know that they're getting older, Lord, and it's been such a disappointment that we don't see them anymore, Lord, and I pray that you will be with them and you'll help them and that you'll ease the pain, but most of all that you'll be with them in their hearts and that you'll take them forward, Lord. Pray, Father, for, for families. and There are families that are hurting, and I pray that you will you'll heal there, that you'll touch hearts and that you'll change minds and and attitudes, and that you'll bring families back together again where there's, where there's struggles. Father, then for our country, we need to pray, and we pray for our leaders, and we ask 
that you will work in their hearts and their minds, that they will do the right things always. Father, we pray that the corruption will, will cease and pray that you'll be in each and every leader's heart and, and help them to lead and not to take, Father. Help them to remember that they're servants. Help us to remember to pray for them at all times. And I pray that you'll be with our country and that this virus will be, will be beaten and that we can get back to normal so that our economies can pick up again and the people can stop hurting from a financial point of view. Lord, we pray for, for others in our church who are struggling. We pray for Carla Mariki and, and Father, we know that there's illnesses there and there's ill health always and, and as well as all sorts of issues. And I pray that you'll be with them, most especially that you'll help them to remember that you're in charge, Lord. We pray for Louis and his, and his bursary that it will finally be paid out so that he can get his life back on track, which seems to have just been put on hold, Lord. Pray for others. We pray for Kurt who travel so much, and Rihanna and Abigail, and for their challenges. Pray for our allowing Zimbabwean friends, and we pray that they will come back to church and that they will want, still want to learn from you, learn of you, and learn from you, Lord. Thank you for Daniel and Kelsey and their family that have arrived, and I pray that you'll be with them and, and help them with their challenges. And, Help them to, to find a place to stay and find a vehicle to drive. And I pray that everything that, that we do and that they do will be an honor to you, Lord. I pray that this morning you'll just be in every part of the service and that you'll be honored and, and that we will go away here this morning knowing that we met with the living Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. Our holy confidence that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what will keep us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Truth can calm the troubled soul. God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial, who sends the waves to bring. Unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and Unto the grave, what will we see? 
Christ he lives, Christ he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, where we will rise to meet the Lord, and sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours Continuing our series in Ephesians 2, I'm just going to read for us this morning um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, good morning. Good to see you today. You got your Bibles uh, still there at Ephesians chapter 2. We look again to this passage uh, this morning. Uh, the title, Why Some Do Believe. And we saw <clears throat> last time, as we looked, why many do not believe. And um, I'm sure you probably know of, um, of someone that came to faith in Christ and you were surprised. There, there are some people that we that we see in their lost condition, and and we just think, boy, that person will never, never uh, become a, a believer in Christ. They're they're just too uh, they're too far in their sin. They're too obstinate. They're too rebellious against God, and yet um, God heart in their life and changes them, and they come to Christ. So this morning we look at this this reality, why some do believe. Uh, last time as we studied these first uh, three verses in chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, we saw the reality of man, mankind, in his lost condition and why men can easily dismiss the great salvation that God offers, while they can... Uh, look at uh, and hear about the grace of God and it seems to just not impact them at all. And the reality is, we saw last time, that man is dead in trespasses and sin. Men, all men, without, without Christ, are in this natural condition and they walk according to the world, this this system, this philosophy, this evil system of this world, which is ruled by Satan. It's under his power, under the powerful working of Satan, his demons. 
And man, mankind, all men, are described as sons of disobedience, as we saw in that passage. They have the characteristics of Satan in his rebellion against God. And, and this word disobedience uh, speaks to their unbelief or their, in reality, their unwillingness to believe. They are, they are unpersuadable. The root of that word disobedience used is, is this be, to be persuaded. And, and so they are unpersuadable in their sin, in their condition. And on top of that, we saw that they live according to the sinful passions of the flesh, verse 3. We saw that flesh is used in that context and other places is used to describe man in his sinful condition. And being in the flesh is used in, as opposed to being in the Spirit. In other words, having the Spirit of God as believers, we are in the Spirit. And those without Christ, without the Spirit of God, are in the flesh. And so we looked at that condition, and Paul continues at the end of verse 3 and says, and we're like the rest of mankind. Before we were saved, we were like all the rest. And Paul is making the point that it's not just the Gentiles who were in this lost condition, but the Jews also. It's not just the irreligious, those that have never darkened the doors of the church building, but it's also the religious. It's not just the wicked sinners, those that you can look at and say, wow, you know, that's, a, that's a bad person. It's also the seemingly good people, all apart from Christ, are dead in trespasses and sins. Notice also at the end of verse 3, he says that, and talking about us all, we're by nature children of wrath. And we didn't have last time... <laughs> Uh, didn't have time last time to to really look at that statement and what Paul means by children of wrath. Paul is not describing the wrath of mankind, although man could be described as being wrathful. Uh, anger and wrath are part of the very nature of man and his sin. But and even as believers, we must fight against this sinful habit of anger and wrath. <clears throat> We must yield ourselves to the control of the Spirit. <clears throat> but Paul's not describing the, the wrath of mankind, but the wrath of God. The wrath of God against mankind in their sinful condition. Now, there's many, many people, even Christians, who want to deny the wrath of God. And sometimes it's because they don't understand the nature of God's wrath. And we, we tend to think only in terms of what we experience. Uh, we oftentimes, our wrath and anger is sinful. You know, like when we're, we're not getting our way or we become impatient or irritated with something or someone and, and, and we just uh, uh, respond in anger or we, or we let irritations build up, us, up in us until we burst out in wrath. We, we've all experienced, haven't we, sinful anger. If, if you haven't, you're probably not breathing. Um, it's, part of, uh, it's part of our fallen condition. And as believers, we must submit ourselves to uh, the will of God and the, the power of the Spirit of God within us that we put, put aside or put to death those sinful um, characteristics 
that are in us. And so we experience, as man, we experience sinful wrath. But God's wrath is never sinful. Rather, it's a result of His holiness. It is expressed in righteous judgment towards mankind and their sin. And Paul says a similar thing in Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. And I have that for you as well. That, where he says, therefore, put to death. Now he's talking to believers. He's saying, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, uncleanness, and lustful passions, evil desires, and greediness, which is idolatry. Because of which the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which also you once lived when you used to live in them. And he's, so he's saying, when you were unsaved, you used to be just like the rest. Just like, there's that phrase again, sons of disobedience. But he says, because of all of these things that, he's, that he just listed and many others, he says, the wrath of God is coming. And it's not only the wrath of God that will be revealed in His coming judgment in the lake of fire, but the wrath of God is, is said to be a present and abiding reality upon unsaved. You know John 3.16 where we read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That should not perish is the coming judgment, the wrath of God. But, but then later in the end of that chapter, verse 36, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey, there again is that root word, it comes from that root word that means to um, not be persuaded. And they do not obey, which is really equal to not believing, resisting rebelling against God. He says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, this, the wrath of God is not just some uh, future reality, but is a present and abiding reality upon the world, upon mankind without the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's wrath is not an outburst of emotion like it often is with man. But it's a constant expression of his righteous hatred of sin. And so as Paul in these first three verses have described for us the, the condition of man, it's, it's, it's important that we realize this condition. It's important that we understand the hopelessness and helplessness of men without Christ. If we, ref if we fail to realize the depth of our own sinful condition before we were saved, we won't be able to appreciate the riches of God's grace in our salvation. If we think that, uh, well, we were pretty good people and we really, you know, uh, we really deserve God's grace. Or if we think, well, I, I wasn't so bad compared to other people and so um, it, took, it took more grace to, to uh, save someone else than it did me. That, that attitude is totally foreign to the Scripture. And God has painted for us a picture here in these first three verses that shows us that we all, regardless of how, how we were, regardless of how, if we were religious or not, regardless of, um, of how moral we were in the eyes of the world and, and how 
good we were in our conduct, how good a neighbor we were, regardless of all of that, it's put us in, we were in this condition, this lost condition before God that required the death of his son to pay the debt of our sin. That's what Paul wants us to see here, that what it was accomplished for us. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 17 to 19, where he prayed that believers might be enabled by the Holy Spirit to know the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance in us, and the, the greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so this great power of God that worked in us to bring us to salvation. And so we come to verse 4, and we read these words, but God. Man is in this condition. He's lost without Christ, but God. Man is without hope, but God. Man is under the wrath of God, but God is rich in mercy. Man is dead in sin, but God has provided life through Jesus Christ. Man is an enemy of God, but God in His grace makes reconciliation possible through Jesus Christ. These Next verses, verses 4 down through verse 8, verse eight, we see three important attributes of God. And then in verse 7, he adds the kindness to that list of his attributes, or it's often referred to as perfections, the perfections of God. And it's revealed to us in Scripture and helps us to know who God is and what he's like. And these three are, are, are very important. And so we want to look at those this morning in this text. And first of all, is the love of God. Uh, the scriptures teach us that not only does God love, but He is love. It, it is a description of His very essence, like He's holy and He's truth. God is love. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God relates to us in love, through mercy and grace. In verses 4 and 5, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You know, it's, it's really impossible for us to fully comprehend the love of God for us. Uh, God's love is is not dependent upon emotion, and yet it's not without emotion. He loves us, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. He loves us because He's chosen to love us. And no doubt the greatest expression of God's love is the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We looked at John 3.16 where He says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. And then in Romans 5, 8, he says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see in those statements both the, the perfection of God's love and the perfection of his holiness. Because he brought judgment upon his son on the cross so that because Christ was bearing our sin and he in his holiness brought the penalty of our sin is death, but at the same time, he was fully loving. And so it's difficult for us to comprehend who God is, who is, he doesn't stop being loving when he executes judgment. He, he is 
in his perfection love. There's also this perfection of his mercy, the mercy of God. In verse 4 in our text, it says that God's mercy toward us is because of his great love. God loves us in showing mercy. Now, this word mercy speaks of God's compassion for us. The Afrikaans say, but reikis in barmhartigheid. In, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, it uses this word here, mercy, to translate the Hebrew word chesed. Some of you recognize that, that Hebrew word. It's often used in the Old Testament as it relates to God. And God himself uses this word to describe himself when he's speaking to Moses. Remember in Exodus 34, Moses is up on the mountain and, and God says, says to him and tells him, gives him this statement of who God is or what he's like, his, his character. He, he, he says in verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That word steadfast love is, is the word chesed. He's abounding in steadfast love. And that is expressed to us in mercy. God's compassion toward us extends mercy to us. Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so we have this, this third attribute that He brings into this passage, the grace of God. And these two words, mercy and grace, are related, but they can be distinguished in this way. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. In other words, we deserve judgment. And in mercy, God does not give us judgment. But in grace, God is giving us what we don't deserve, which is salvation. And all of this is accomplished in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for us, the cross. We could add to this justice. Many people, many people today talk about they want justice. Well, justice is getting what we do deserve. And we don't want that. <laughs> we don't want justice because we're guilty before God. In our justice, we deserve His wrath. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so as you think about the reality of God's mercy and grace, how thankful we should be for His love, which is demonstrated to us in mercy and grace, has come to us through Jesus Christ. He, he took upon Himself our sin and our judgment so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with Him. Paul will continue in this, in this passage to emphasize the grace of God in our salvation. As you look into the next few verses, and we'll come to them in, in the weeks to come, but... Uh, he, he emphasizes the grace of God because he, he wants to make the point that our salvation is the work of God. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. When speaking of this salvation, he says in verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You see, we were spiritually dead, but, but God made us alive by His powerful working in us through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He, he says it uh, in a similar way in Titus. or Titus says it there 
God directs him. I have that for you. I want, want you to see uh, how it's said there as he speaks to the believers there and admonishes them as well. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, there's the but God. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of, the, of God our Savior appeared, and by the way, it, it appeared when Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for us. And it, it came to us in time when we put our faith in Christ and we experienced this saving grace of God. Verse 5, he goes on to say, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, that's the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ. And the reason that it's called good news, the gospel, is because the lost condition of mankind is so bad and judgment is coming. And apart from the the working of God, He has no hope but God come in mercy and grace because of His great love for us. And this is why some do believe it was the work of God because of what He has done. God has come in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place to satisfy the justice of God so that He might extend mercy and grace to you and salvation. Have you come to Him for this salvation? This invitation is for you. I would write in Romans 10, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God convicted you of your lost condition. The pit of sin is so deep that you can never get out. Look to Him. See Him who died for you, lifted upon the cross, dying in your place. See His mercy. See His grace. And call upon Him for salvation that He might forgive you and make you His own by His transforming power. Those of us this morning who have experienced the transforming power of God, we know and have experienced this rich mercy and grace of God. We know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God calls us to walk with Him in His love. Walk with Him showing His mercy and His grace towards one another. You remember Peter came to Jesus. Matthew records in chapter 18. And uh, Peter was struggling with this matter of forgiveness. He says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? That's pretty gracious, right? (laughs) He figures that's certainly enough. If someone sins against you seven times, and Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but seven times, or or, sorry, seventy times. Seventy times seven. And Peter must have been quite taken back by that. Or he may have looked a bit dumbfounded or thinking, wow, that's, that's a lot. And Jesus says in, it, in a way to indicate that you're not to keep count, Peter. You just keep forgiving. Keep showing mercy. Keep showing grace. And Jesus goes on in that 
just after that, he says that to Peter and, and gives the parable, the story of a king and, a, and his servants. And the king decided to uh, do some bookkeeping. And uh, he, he, he looks at his books and sees who owes him money. And he brings before him the people that are his debtors. And he tells them it's time to pay up. And he gives a, in this story this illustration of a, of a man, a servant, that owes this great sum of money. And, and Jesus makes the figure so large that it's incomprehensible. He says he owes 10,000 talents. Now, in that day, a talent was uh, 20 years of, of, of salary or wage for a day. 20 years of work. And, and so Jesus says it was 10,000 10, times that. So this is a debt that can never be paid. You couldn't even imagine paying it. And the, and, and the king looks at the servant and says, throw him in prison. Everything he has, take it. And, and the man pleads with the king. Please have mercy. And the king does have mercy. And the king decides to forgive the debt. Can you imagine? Your jaws must have dropped to the disciples as they listened to this story. He forgave the whole debt. And the man goes out. And the next day, he finds someone who owes him money. But, the, but this person, he owes 100 denarii. And, and the denarii was one day's labor. And so, so this man owed, we could say, equivalent to five months of, of work. If you work you know, five days a, a week, it would be a, yeah, about five months of work, which is possible. It's manageable. You could do it. You had a, a little bit of time, a little bit of grace. You could do it. And so the, this servant pleads with this, um, this one had been forgiven this large amount. He pleads with him, please, please have mercy and give me, give me a chance. Give me time. But he wouldn't listen. He, and he threw him into the prison, had him, had him arrested and, until he could pay the debt. Well, the king heard about what happened. And he calls this servant before him, the one he had forgiven this, this huge amount. And he, and he says to him, uh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he cast him into prison. And then Jesus admonishes us, we who have been forgiven such a great debt, we should be quick to forgive and show mercy to one another. The debt that we've been forgiven, we, we can't describe it. We can't comprehend it what God did for us. And when one of our brothers or sisters or even someone outside the faith wrongs us, although at the, at the moment that might seem like a great wrong, it may even be repeated over and over, and yet it's like the denarii. It's nothing in comparison to what we've been forgiven. And so God admonishes us, those of us who have experienced this great love of God, this mercy and His grace, go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your love for us. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace that's extended to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And You've brought us into Yourself, Lord. You've, you've drawn us with cords of love. The Word of God that's convicted us of our sin. And You've, you've shown us the Savior that we might come to You in faith. And Lord, we thank You and we praise You for that great grace of God. Lord, I pray that those of us who have experienced that love and grace might walk with you in love and that we might have a gracious heart, a 
merciful heart towards others. Lord, I pray that for someone here this morning who hasn't experienced that grace and salvation, Lord, you'd open their heart and their mind, their will, you would draw them unto yourself, that they would come to know you also as their Savior. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpour, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God. the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you will be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. standing i just have the one brief announcement a reminder of next um next sunday after the service at the end of the service we'll have a, a business meeting and update on the, the finances thank you lord bless you